Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we'll be, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So we'll do a um, somewhat quick review of this morning. I'm not going to repreach or anything like that, but the first 10 verses, we'll kind of review that a little bit, and then we'll jump into the last half of the chapter tonight. Uh, we talked about death a little bit this morning, and really it's kind of that equal uh, opportunity employer that everyone, um, whether you're rich or poor, you're young or old, Death happens to everyone outside of God's return. Uh, we all face that. So we're going to ask a couple questions in regard to that uh, to kind of start off things tonight. But let me go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. So, All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day that you've given us, Lord. And God, I pray that you be with this class tonight, this lesson, as we continue studying your word. Thank you for the good group that we have tonight. And God, I pray that you help us as we just look at this last half of the chapter and what Solomon is trying to tell us that, Life isn't always fair. It doesn't always go according to our plans, but help us to learn the principles that we need to learn from this passage and give us what we need. Lord, we love you so much. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, let me ask this first question. Uh, when did you have to face the reality of death for the first time? Marcus. Uh, my okay. He was pretty young when I was young. How, how old were you? I was around 20, 21. That was probably the first time I really faced. Okay. How did that yeah, experience how did that experience make you feel? Um I think I felt closer to God, but at the same time I felt a little uh, maybe a little lost on because that was your answer to a lot of things, you know, I call him, Hey, how do I do this or this or this? So I, I would say just uh, Sad, but yeah, yeah. Uh, thankful that I knew what he was in life and how he was in life. So I was thankful for him being a good man, but at the same time, a little sad and distant. Yeah. So. Okay. What else? When's the first time you experienced death in your life and had to make you feel uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> When's the first time you experienced death and had to make you feel? I was 18 or 19, and it, he was like a year older than me, and I did not handle it the way I should have handled it. Okay. What else? This is my shirt. Well, that, that's when I gave a few weeks back, when I was 17, when that uh, father that a friend of mine got killed on High Street. Uh, it changed my life completely. I just, uh, I don't know what, what it was, it, it just uh, shocked me. What else? I'm going to share a story here in a minute. What else? Anybody else? Okay. I would have to agree with Marcus. The first time I ever dealt with death was his dad, which was my grandfather. I think I was 11 when it happened. So, and it was just in denial. Didn't yeah. want to face it. Um, I grew up as him, as my hero. That's what we all called him, was our hero. So... For me, it was really hard to accept because we lived with him every day. So. Yeah. Okay. Nice what else? Maybe one or two more. Recently, my dad passed away, and it ain't the first death that I've seen, but all the other ones, I was too young to really realize anything. But this one was hard on me because he wasn't just my dad. He was my best friend. My, it's kind of like Marcus. He was my go-to person yeah. whenever I needed answers. And I actually had to give the eulogy and everything for him. So it was, it was a little hard on me, but it, it, I, I didn't feel, I wasn't sad or, or, or angry or anything. I was more jealous because he got to go be with our father for me. So. Well, let's maybe one more. The first time you experienced that, and how it made you feel? Okay. I was nine and my grandpa 
um, died, and I just remember being really confused and not understanding death because that was the first time like someone close to me had passed, and I just remember looking in the casket and I was like, "He's right here, guys. What are we doing? He's right here." <laughs> um, but then, even still, growing up, like now, I'm just like, death is such a weird concept yeah. to me, and it's just, I just weird, taboo. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of emotions that go with it. Let me ask this question. What are some ways that, maybe maybe you yourself, but what are some ways that people try to flee from or escape death? What are some ways that people try to flee from or escape death? Put their kids in a bubble. The bottle. What's that? The bottle. With a bottle? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's good. I've known of people that just stay drunk for days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's <laughs> go away. That's a very good point. What else? What are some ways people try to flee from or escape death? I've read that some uh, like millionaires have tried blood infusion some younger kids. Wow. Because they thought that having the blood of a younger person would prolong their life. Wow. I've heard of that. Well, stem cells. Did it work? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need this Dean's blood. <laughs> Nobody can get that, not even a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? What are some ways people try to flee or escape death? Addiction. Addiction. Okay. Yes. Like a healthy lifestyle, I think that would prolong their life. Yeah. So they believe anything and everything that's whatever is considered, you know, toxic or can, you know, bad at the moment. You get that? Some people. Some people just don't leave their house at all. Yeah. They just stay hoarded up in their house. They say, well, if I don't go outside, I can't catch disease. I can't catch colds. I can't get in accidents or anything like that. So they figure that it will prolong their life. Yeah, that's true. Denial. Good point. What were you going to say, Ron? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, there's, I, my life, I mean, it was like, I was scared of nothing. You know, it was like, I'm not going to die. What's going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. So, wasn't even a thought. Yeah, that's what Like, there's a warning. I don't know what happened. Is there any water in this? There was water, but they said you would hit bottom, but when I did hit bottom, I was like, no, you're hitting bottom. I hit something. I don't know. What's next week? You know, what stupid thing did you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we'll start at four, yeah. All right, let me ask this last question. We'll get more into it tonight. Have you ever used your circumstances to gauge how God feels about you? Why do you think we're prone to do that? Human. So what I mean is, you know, something bad's going on in your life. Obviously, God's just mad at me. That's what I mean. Yeah. People are around with a false concept that they deserve something. And, uh, you know, they don't deserve that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, what karma is. What? Share with us, Rachel. No. Share. (laughs) Man, I'm intrigued now. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, So, do you think Christians can take a karmic view on life? How so? How so? Karma is basically, you know, that idea of what goes around comes around type attitude, that Hindu philosophy. So, how do you think Christians can take that karmic view of life? It's a works-based view. So, the more good works I do, then it seems I'm, whether it's in God's eyes or other people's eyes. So, it's the same thing. Like, yeah. the more good I do, the more good that'll come back to me. Well, if I do all bad, then I'll do more bad. Then. So, that's basically karma. Exactly. The Bible talks about what you do. So, yeah. that's also part of it. Exactly. 
Do you think it, when we have a view like that, well, the more good I do, the more good's going to come back to me, do you think it negates God? No. In the sense of it puts him on a... Uh, I'm sorry to see, see how, how I say this. Now, God does grant goodness to us, but does God do good? Does, does God extend his grace just based on how good we are? I guess no. that's what I'm trying to say. No. No. He gives us his grace because he's God. And he gives it to us. It doesn't matter how much good we do. He's going to give us grace just because he's God. And sometimes having a karmic view of life of, you know, the more good I do, the more good's going to come back. And I guess the more evil I do, the more evil is going to come back. Or it's very easy to think, well, that person deserved that because they obviously had a bad life. They've obviously done a lot of bad things. But that's not really a biblical view. It's not a biblical approach on things. And in Christianity, and I'll try to get to this a little bit later, in Christianity, we can try to, almost what we're doing is we're taking God out of the equation. We're making him some kind of cosmic force that's only going to grant goodness if we're good. But is that biblical? No. God doesn't just grant goodness because we're good. The Bible says there is none righteous, <laughs> no, not one. So no amount of good works can equate to God just putting more goodness on us. And just because something evil happens to us, it's not because God's up there like, well, I don't like you today. That's wrong. And I think sometimes we can think that way and act that way. So again, let me just kind of quickly go through what we talked about this morning and dive a little bit deeper into tonight. Again, death is unavoidable, inescapable, and the ultimate variable in life. Uh, many people fear death. In their fear, they try to do one of two things. They try to escape death, as we've talked about thus far, or they simply try to endure, it, endure life, what I mean. Uh, but Solomon's point at the end of this chapter is not to fear death, not to have a fear of death. I'm so afraid of dying because I don't know what's to come. He wants us to enjoy the life that God has given us. And the reality of death should not discourage living. That's what I talked about this morning. The awareness of death should increase our value and appreciation of each day that we have left. And really, what he's sitting on after he finishes first six verses is enjoy life. Enjoy the simple things. Those simple things are what really matter. And as we hit on, place value on the simple things of life. And it's very easy, even the simplistic things of life, to not place value on. We only place value on things that we think are important. But every day is a gift from God. So therefore, a gift is important, is it not? So since it's important, since it's a gift, place value on the somewhat meaningless things in life, even though they're not meaningless. The Christian life is meant to be enjoyed. Look, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Did you know that? When we uh, are living a life that is enjoyable, in a sense, God takes pleasure in that. Now, we need to understand, well, since God takes pleasure in my pleasures, I can live however I want. That's not what I'm saying. That's an unbiblical approach. But God wants us to be happy, to find joy in this life, doesn't he? He does. And I think sometimes we can get a wrong attitude that, and the Christian life is mundane, it's boring, I can't have any fun, I've got to quit all the stuff that I used to do. There's no fun in the Christian life. But I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of fun in the Christian life if you live it the way that God intended you to live it. And a lot of people don't live it the way God intended them to live it, so they think, well, the Christian life is just no fun, it's boring, uh, can't enjoy anything. No, that's completely opposite. God wants us to enjoy the life he's given us because it's the only life we have. He doesn't want us to look back and, man, regret everything. But it's easy to do that, isn't it? Very easy to look back and regret a lot of things. I mean, I share testimonies of that. And I look back when I graduated high school many years ago, and my senior year, I was just looking back like, what did I do? Where, where is the time gone? I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have given more time and energy and not wasted away certain days. And I'm sure the older we get, it's very easy to look back and, what was I thinking? <laughs> What was I thinking in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 50s, in my 60s, or whatever it is? What was I thinking? Why did I do those things that I thought were important? And really this series, I pray that it really gets a hold of our lives. And some people told me in the past couple weeks, man, I needed this like 30 years ago. Well, you have it now. So however many days we have left, let's learn to live them the way that God intended us. And let's learn to enjoy them. And really, going back to verse number 7 where he says, go thy way. I hit on this very briefly this morning, and I don't want to... I don't want to just labor on this, but again, what he is saying is don't sit around and brood. It's very easy to brood, isn't it? It's very easy to feel sorry for ourselves. Look, I am bad about that. You can ask my wife. It's very easy when things are going wrong in my life to just sit and complain and 
argue, and Justin, quit, be quiet over there. Thank you. <laughs> He's laughing. He's distracting me. But it's very easy. <laughs> it's, very, it's very easy to sit around and brood and feel sorry for yourself. But Solomon is saying, hey, especially with talking about dying and death, death is going to happen. That's the reality. So if it happens, it happens. But you have a life to live. And the point I was making this morning, you know, and it went off a little bit, but you know, in the Jewish culture, they had a certain amount of time that they grieved over someone. But I've seen in, in America, because that's what I know, I've seen friends and family over the past you know, 15, 20 years, when tragedy struck, when death happened in their life, they sat and brooded for a long time. And I don't mean just a couple days, a couple weeks. I mean months and years. And we probably know people like that. Is that healthy? No, you miss out on life. Because death is a part of life, and in your brooding, can you get the person back? No. All you're doing is missing out on the life, the limited amount of days that God has given you. And you think about that in that context, how foolish is that? That's very foolish. That's wasting our lives. You know, we get on our kids for wasting time sometimes. Of, you know, you're always on your iPad, you're always on this, you're just wasting time. But how often do we waste time by doing things like this? brooding and feeling sorry for ourselves and, and distancing I'm, I'm good at this <laughs> distancing ourselves from people when when tragedy strikes and circumstances happen in life that we don't like instead of enjoying the company of others and enjoying really all of these points that i hit on you know enjoying food and fellowship and you know enjoying your marriage you can talk about just relationships whether you're married or not that's beside the point enjoy the relationships that god has given all of us have relationships in a sense of friends or family that are in our lives, and it's very easy to push them aside, isn't it? And they karma or whatever Randy's talking about. Who knows <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's very easy, easy to push people aside. And when you push people aside, it's really hard to enjoy the life you have, right? It's very hard to enjoy that person, those that that company. So again, he's he's talking more specifically on marriage. And again, when he when he hits it in verse number nine, it's it's. It's almost laughable because a guy that had a thousand wives is like, the secret to, to love and, and a lasting you know, life is to have one wife for the rest of your life, basically is what he's saying, and love her and cherish her. Again, a guy that had everything it doesn't make sense, but he realized that all of that chasing, all of that searching was fruitless. It was fruitless. Produced nothing. Verse 10, whatsoever the hand finds to do, do it with all the might. Whatever God has given you, whatever job you have, do it to the best of your ability. And then what, what I finished the message with this morning was we have to be intentional in our lives. You know, that's Michael's word for this year, right? That's why I chose that word. We have to be intentional about what is valuable. And we have to figure out in life, and that's what I'm realizing in this, in this book, that Solomon is trying to teach us to be intentional about life, to be intentional about the most valuable things in life, not the things that are frivolous, that are meaningless, but be intentional about our families, about the relationships that we have, about the work that God has given us. If you're not intentional about something, are you going to give your best? Are you going to do your best? Probably not. You may, but more than likely, you're not going to give your best if you're not intentional about the work that God has called you to do. And Solomon is trying to, to tell us that the answer to life isn't passivity. I think we have this in your notes. The answer to life is not passivity. And disengagement. But isn't it easy to disengage from life when life throws you a, a curveball, right? I'm just going to disengage. I'm just going to, you know, seclude to my shell. <laughs> I, I'm good at that. But the answer is not passivity and disengagement. You know what the answer is? Engagement. With a better Lord, a deeper passion, His greater call for your life. Look, time is fleeting. Tomorrow is no guarantee. So what God is calling us to do, what Solomon is calling us to do, is zero in on your God-given work. He's telling us to do it, to love it, to learn to thrive in it. It's a foreign concept, I know, right? Thrive. Thrive in the life that you have, because it's the only life you have. And I know it sounds so simple, and like, oh, it's something like I learned, you know, first grade. But the Bible is pretty simple. We're, we just make it more complex than it needs to be. So listen to this. Solomon, I want you to listen to this. This is key from going forward. Solomon was a very self-driven man. Do we have any self-driven individuals in here tonight? 
This isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We have one honest person. All right, Seth, I drove myself here. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> waiting on something like that. Thank you, David. You never disappoint. You never disappoint. <laughs> Having a self-drive is not a bad thing. Is it self-drive? <laughs> can it be a bad thing? How can it be a bad thing? It consumes you. It consumes you. Tell me a story, quickly. You kind of get caught up in, well, for me anyways, I can get caught up in the, what do I have to do to do better this time? And okay, I hit that goal. What's the next one? What's it take to beat that one? I actually had a conversation with the guy at work the other day because he's like, well, I, I did this well this year and next year I have to do this. And I'm like, okay, and what are you really going to accomplish when you get that? Like, did it really make you happy? Yeah. And he's like, no. He's like, if anything, it's a burden. And I'm like, it is a burden. But it's like, I can say it, and it makes sense, but it's still hard. Correct. So, yeah. No, I, I get that. That's a perfect example. And it's very easy to have that drive to do more, to do more, to do more. But for what reason? For what purpose? What are you gaining? You know, Solomon was really an ultimate self-driven individual. And again, having that self-drive, that discipline, is a good thing. But there's a transition in his life. He's no longer trying to be driven by himself. He's now becoming something more important. He's now becoming God-driven. And that's what's most important in our lives. Self-drive is good, but God-driven is better. And what I mean is that God is steering your ship, steering your car, steering your life, leading you the direction he wants you to go. And that's what Solomon is finally starting to realize, that you know, having a drive is important because sometimes just having, some people don't have a drive. They have no drive whatsoever. They're not driven to do anything. Mary is a perfect example. Thank you for raising your hand. Justin just left. So. Um, he can vouch for me. That's true. So, how, all right, so how is that a bad thing? How can it's it be not a bad, a bad thing. thing. <laughs> to not have a drive? It's not. Okay, Justin. So, how I don't how, 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 stress about It's less stressful. It's really less stressful. Life is just to go with it. And when you're focusing on so many things, you might miss out on something that was small. Like if I was busy Correct. on this day, if I worked all day on snow day, I would have missed out on all the sledding. Correct. It's, I'm yeah. self-driven. <laughs> so Coffee and food is all I need. Just stay in here. So we were talking about being self-driven, and Stephanie said she's self-driven, and Mary said she's not self-driven. So so I'm going to give an example of how it's a good thing and a bad thing. How is not being self-driven? How can that be a bad thing? You don't have to put your you wife in the bus. He wasn't talking about you. I'm a very self-driven person, you know. But if you, I don't know, you just accomplish nothing if you don't set goals. Yes, so. You don't expect anything out of it, so you don't you get anything happiness. out of it. That, that, okay, that's good, though. But that, that can be the danger. That can be the danger. It, it's not. It's not a problem to, in a sense, have a case of attitude. I'm not blaming on Mary for that. But by not having a self drive, it's very easy to accomplish nothing for your family, for God. So the most important thing is not self driven, not self driven. It's God driven. Is God truly driving my life? Is God truly in control of my life? So that's what Solomon is starting to figure out. That it's you know what. All of this that I was chasing after, that I was pursuing, it led to unsatisfaction and not satisfaction. It led to meaninglessness and not meaning. And now that he's turning things over to God, he's realizing that, man, life can be more meaningful. All right, you can go back and sit down if you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're right there. Now let's get to the meat of the lesson. It's verse 11 going forward. Let's ask maybe two more questions and we'll dive much deeper. What do you do when life seems unfair? Pout. <laughs> Deep question right there. Pout. Right. Right. Throw a fit. What else? What do you do when life seems unfair? I shut everyone out. Shut everyone out. Yep. Pity party. Pity party. Yeah. What else? Dig deeper. Dig deeper? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's ask this question. Why does life seem unfair to you at times? Because you don't get what you want. Because you don't get what you want. Because they have something you want. Do they have something you want? You want to be like them dumb enough? It's comparison. It's all down to comparison. Yeah. They have more than me. They have more than me. Yeah. Comparison. Just self-righteous. Self-righteous. Yeah. That's good. These are good. What else? What are other things? Why does life seem unfair? When it's harder than you think it should be. 
It's harder than you think. Yeah, it's like when accomplishing something is more difficult, or you get curveballs, or just something comes out of right field that you're not anticipating. Yeah, I mean, I agree for sure. Um, what else? This is good. This is really good. So it can seem that, well, it's just not fair because I'm doing everything and they're doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What else? That's good. Anything else? Our minds would be, they got the trophy, but I didn't. So we get to participate in the trophy. He <laughs> <laughs> has a lot of those markers. His walls are lined up with participation. <laughs> so I think that's the mindset. I mean, we either work for it. This question kind of falls back on what you said the other day. You know, you, you, she got she's Christians and everything, and we're like, well, we go to church, we we talk to God, we have God in our life, and everything like that. And you got the neighbor two houses down that don't believe in God, and don't believe in this, and don't believe in that. But he's driving a Maserati and a Harley Davidson, and he's got a nice house and a good job, and he's got these nice clothes and watches and everything like that. You know, Maybe you know, it's, yeah, I get it though. I get it. It goes back to comparison. Yeah, you see someone else, and man, they're enjoying life, but they're living forever they want to live, and I'm living for God, and I'm getting nothing. That's how it seems like. It's very easy to have that pity party, and very easy to feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, um, go ahead. They, they could very well be also having 10,000 phone calls every night wondering when their payments are. It's that old saying, you know, the grass isn't always green, because we don't know, you know. It's always green, it's just fake. Yeah. No, it's always green. It's not fake. It's not fake. It's not His grass is green. Our skew is off on what we think that we want. Yeah. Because if it's unfair, then your goal is on something else other than God. It's the end goal. Exactly. I think someone said, might have been Linda, it's meaningless. I mean, the nice cars, who doesn't want a nice car? I mean, if you don't want a nice car, I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, I think all of us would like to have those things, but I think we've also realized that that doesn't matter. Thankful it drives. Yes. Just to be thankful it drives, and we have something to get us to the next place. You know, life really is unfair in our perception. And I read a story, and it was funny. So there was a story I read. Not me this time. Dr. Dr. Michael. Dr. Michael to the office. So there's a story I read in one of my commentaries, and it's funny because it happened at my house. So uh, Nate and Noah were eating Lunchables the other day, and they were both sitting on the, on the couch, you know, in the same chair. And uh, Nate looked down, and in the Lunchable, the cookies were gone. And he just threw a fit. He's like, no, I ate my cookies. What is going on? They're like, Nate, your cookies are right there. Oh, like, he was looking at Noah's Lunchable. <laughs> and not his own that was sitting right next to him. And it was funny, in Nate's eyes, why would he do that? Why would he eat my cookies? How dare you? And he was, he was complaining. He was arguing. He was starting to go off on Noah. And it was basically the same exact story that I read of someone that was on a plane and someone ate a snack and they thought it was theirs and they were complaining and found out that it was actually on their tray the whole time, but they thought someone else, it was, it was just it was kind of funny. But life is a lot like that story. We don't often eat someone else's cookies, but the real source of our dissatisfaction comes from our own misconceptions about what is fair and what isn't fair. Get this. Our frustrations are most often the result of our own failure to come to terms with our attitudes. What I mean is our attitude towards life. Our frustrations are most often the result of our own failure to come to terms with our attitude towards life. Verse number 11, let me read this. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to the men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. Here's what he's saying. Life seems unfair because of unavoidable outcomes. Life seems unfair because of unavoidable outcomes. You cannot predict hard times. You can't. And most of the time, you know, we talked about planning. And again, planning is not a bad thing. 
If you're not a planner, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a planner if you are. I'm not saying that. Planning is a good thing. But I even think of my wife. She doesn't plan for trouble. She just doesn't. She doesn't, in her planner, write down, okay, I'm sure my husband's going to go to the hospital this month. I'm sure that someone's going to die. I'm sure someone's going to need me this week. She doesn't plan for that. We don't plan for trouble. But it finds us, doesn't it? And what Solomon is saying here, life seems unfair because of unavoidable outcomes. And when you look at this verse, you ever seen a, a, a race that the fastest didn't win? Yeah. I mean, there's a great story of the, what, the hare and the rabbit? Or the hare and the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, the tortoise and the hare. Remember, the hare and the rabbit, the same thing. Tortoise in the hair, that's a perfect example. But you think about it in sports, does the best team always win? No. 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 A lot of times, not, not a lot of times, but there's many times that they don't win. I mean, I even think, you know, I've been watching the, the NFL playoffs, and there's been some upsets. Upsets On paper, this best team, the strongest team, they should win, but they don't always win. Sometimes because they can't play together as a team, or sometimes there's just unavoidable outcomes. Sometimes injuries happen that they weren't expecting. And it messes up, the star player goes down, it ruins their whole season, it ruins the whole game. And that's really what Solomon is alluding to. Just because you're the fastest doesn't mean you're going to win. Just because you're the strongest doesn't mean you're going to win the war. Just because you have the most understanding or whatever it is, as he says here, uh, but time and chance happen to them all. Chance is not just you know, it's the luck of the draw. Life, things happen, trouble comes our way. You know, we can't change that reality, but we can choose to have a better attitude and perspective when trouble happens. But how often when trouble happens, when we should win, when we should have uh, finished first or whatever it is, we have a bad attitude when we didn't. When life didn't go our way, how often do we have a bad attitude to it? A lot of times, right? That's what I'm trying to say. But you can't predict life. <laughs> it's unpredictable. Because of unavoidable outcomes. Again, I don't plan my year and plan, okay, there's probably going to be at least five deaths in the church, and 40 people are going to leave, and this is going to happen. That's going to... I don't plan for that. <laughs> I plan for good things. I plan for positive things. But the bad things happen, so I can't change the reality that death or other things that aren't fair in my perspective are going to happen, but I can change my attitude towards those things. And a lot of times... In my life, my attitude isn't always the best. Is yours? No. no. We all have stories about that, right? When trouble happened, and circumstances that were beyond our control happened, instead of having a good attitude, a positive attitude, realizing, you know what? Life is out of my control, like last week's lesson. Remember that one? We're not in control of anything, but God is. He's in control of everything. If we realize that, you can actually enjoy life more because you're like, you know what? I don't get this. I don't understand it. I don't understand why I didn't finish first, why I didn't win when this person seems to win. And you know what? There is something better waiting for me. <laughs> we have to have that attitude, right? What's better waiting for us if you're saved? Heaven. Eternity with Jesus Christ, the one you were created to be with. All the joy, all the, the wonder, all the excitement. So we can't change reality, but we can change our attitude and perspective. And we will embrace along the journey. Solomon observed that life is anything but fair. And as he said, winning the race isn't always about being the fastest run. Coming out victorious in a war isn't always about being the strongest. Having enough provision isn't necessarily an indicator of wise investing. Even though as we were talking about, well, this person down the road has this car and that car and that car and this thing and that. It doesn't mean they invested wisely. They might be in cuckoos of debt, right? But they got all that stuff, so look at that. And then we get jealous because we don't. And then we go into debt. <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying. But anyway. <laughs> Monetary wealth is not a good litmus test of spiritual understanding. Having the favor of people doesn't always point to strong people skills. The fastest, most talented, most talented, most strong, or strongest, most gifted don't always win. Sometimes they do. Many times they fail because of factors completely out of their control. Because life. 
And Solomon already affirmed that God has a time for everything, a purpose to be filled in all of that. And he's creating something beautiful in our lives if we allow him to. He's trying to mold us and shape us into who he wants us to be. You know, ability is good, but sometimes ability has nothing to do with anything. With what happens in it. What's most important is not necessarily your ability, your talents, your gifts. Are we using them for God and realizing, you know what? Whether good happens or bad happens, I'm going to trust God. That's really what it boils down to. I don't try to do good in this life so that good will come back to me. Now, there are biblical principles that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The more you give, in a sense, God will, God will you know, bless you for that. There are biblical principles for that, and we'll get to that. But when I try to do things like that, I don't try to do it in order to return a favor. And you shouldn't either. If you're doing things only to get a favor in return, you got the wrong mindset. you got the wrong mentality. You're not going to find joy in that. <laughs> but if you do things out of love, out of love for your Savior, out of obedience... That's where you'll find joy, whether or not you ever get anything in return. And that's hard in our human minds. I'm going to love someone, have compassion on them, give, and maybe never get anything back? I don't know if I can do that. But that's exactly what we need to do. Because our reward in heaven is far greater than anything we'll ever receive here. Who cares if you have the nicest car on this earth? Probably break down. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We place value in things that really have no value. Verse number 12. Life seems unfair, not just because of unavoidable outcomes, but also unpredictable challenges. Unpredictable challenges. Verse number 12. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught up in a snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. No one knows when trouble is coming. We're going to wreck our plans. Advantages can become obstacles. Opportunities can often lead to disappointments. Possibilities can become limitations. And here's what Solomon is getting across here in this verse. Our abilities do not guarantee success. Sometimes they can be liabilities. You have an ability, that's great. That's a gift from God. But it doesn't mean you're going to have success. When they least expect it, Fish are often caught in a net. I'm not sure they're swimming one day. I'm going to get into a net today. <laughs> when they least expect it, it happens. When a bird least expects it, they get caught into a snare, some kind of trap. Same thing is true in our life. When we least expect it, sometimes things happen that are beyond our control. And that's why we should take to heart the admonition against boasting. Oh, I'm, I'm so great in all my abilities. The Bible says in James chapter 4, boast not yourself of tomorrow, right? But I know it's not what a day may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. And we have to understand that our abilities are a gift from God. But they don't provide automatic access to satisfaction and assurance of success. Listen, we can't build security or find satisfaction in life based on our own abilities alone. If you have abilities, that's great. But don't expect to have success just based on your abilities. Based on how good you are at something. Because something can happen, and everything can be taken away in a moment. We all know that to be true. We've all received that phone call where we weren't expecting it, and someone died, or someone went to the hospital, and their life was forever changed. Maybe it was us. Some debilitating illness or disease that we weren't expecting. Here's a key truth. The visible indicators of your success will either disappoint your heart or inflate your pride. The visible indicators of your success will either disappoint your heart when things don't go your way or inflate your pride. But man, I am great. Look at me. Look at what Chris Thorne has accomplished. Everything I've accomplished is because of God. And even my disappointments, in God's eyes, they might not be disappointments. See what I'm saying? You see, how I view things isn't always how God views things. I might see something, that's a failure. <laughs> I have failed at this life when God says, you haven't failed anything. Because you don't even know what's going to happen down the road. Or what I think is success, God's like, that's meaningless. <laughs> that's nothing. We can be prone to overestimate or underestimate our opinion of ourselves 
and our own fruitfulness will always either be too high or too low. Again, you may see external failure when God sees deeper success. And on the other hand, you may see external successes when God sees something as shallow and fleeting. So don't get too focused on what you see. Focus on what you can't see and the one who's in control of the externals and valuables or variables of life. And the last principle here before we close it out. Opportunities aren't guarantees. They don't provide access to a life of satisfaction. If you have an opportunity, that's great. Again, an opportunity doesn't give you a satisfaction in life. I like this thought, one of the things that I read. Though opportunity is what many point to as the missing link in their journey, it is not the global link to a satisfied life. You're like, man, I have this great opportunity. And I, I hear that all the time as a pastor. Man, I got this great opportunity, pastor. And I'm going to miss church all the time. That's a phenomenal opportunity. Well, is it really a great opportunity? No. Is it really a great opportunity when you're never with your family? Is it really a great opportunity when maybe you're going to go into debt <laughs> more than what you were in debt for? But this is, a, this is an amazing opportunity. I, I talked this guy down from 70000 to 65000 And I got this car. Well, can you afford a $5,000 car? No, but I got this steal. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going a little extreme here, but opportunities aren't always success. And we have to view them in God's eyes and realize that, okay, is this opportunity going to lead me closer to God? Or is it going to drop me farther away? Is it going to be something that's meaningful in my life or meaningless? Life isn't fair in our eyes, but the challenges in life bring about balance. When life seems unfair, there are often unexpected surprises. And we all know that to be true. We've hit on this. We're going to close out the last couple of verses in just a minute. There's a story of a, a girl named Charlotte Elliott. She had a childhood illness that left her an invalid and in a wheelchair. She became bitter and uh, very disgruntled because she wasn't able to be used by God. It was her desire in life to be used by God. She wanted God to use her. She wanted to make an impact on this world. And she just sorrowed away because I'm an invalid. I'm in a wheelchair. I can't do anything for God. One day her pastor came by and just encouraged her to give herself to God just as she was. After this conversation, she would later, many years later, go on to pen the words to a famous hymn that sometimes we even sing to just as I am. And that song was used in almost every Billy Graham crusade for years and years and years. But this girl who was an invalid said, I can't do anything for God because of my disability. And God said, why don't you just give it to me? Why don't you give your life to me just as you are? And I love that song. I love the words of the song. Just as I am without one word, that thy blood was shed for me. And that's it. It's amazing what can happen when you give your limitations to God. How often do we do? We think limitations in our world as weaknesses. And God sees them as strengths sometimes. But life isn't fair, that's a fact. But the lack of fairness cannot keep you from discovering true satisfaction. Satisfaction will never be found in fairness. But it will be found in your faith in God. You know, we all have stories of how unfair life really is. But what matters is what are you doing with the life that God has given you? You know, we can share our stories later, and that's fine. We can have fun with it. But it doesn't really matter what story you have. And here's what happens. Again, I go back to comparison. We like to compare our stories because our story is harder than your story, right? Our problem is much more difficult than your problem. My tragedy is much more difficult than your tragedy. You just don't understand. And we all can get like that, whether we want to or not. With anything, well, we're listening to someone, they're talking about something, eh, and that's okay, but let me, let me share my story. Let me share my heartache. Let me share what I'm going through. Okay, so you're going through something. So is that person. So is the other person. Yours isn't any greater. It's a problem. It, life stinks. Life's not fair sometimes. But it goes back to people can sit around and brood about how life doesn't make sense, how unfair it is, but they have to go through all kinds of difficulties just like the next person. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's going to go away. And as Solomon said, go back to verse 7, go that way, eat, drink, be merry, 
enjoy the life that God has given you. But as we close out this section, here's what Solomon is getting at. Verse 13 through 18. Listen to me. Let's read these verses together. This wisdom have I seen also unto the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, set to war against it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. So here we have a king with all of his might, with all of his men, going in to destroy this city. And all of a sudden, this poor man, this insignificant individual, was able to defeat this guy. He wasn't remembered. The poor man's wisdom is despised, verse 16, and the words are not heard. The words of the wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. So here's what we learn as we close out this section that Solomon is getting at. When life doesn't seem fair, understand that there are unavoidable things that happen, outcomes and circumstances. But here's what he's getting at. Here's the, the crux of it all. And really, I, I love it because it goes perfectly with everything for this year. Here's what he's telling us to do. Aim for substantial impact. Aim for substantial impact. So here's the, here's the advice Solomon is giving us in a nutshell. I can have a big life and have a lot of things that I want, that I desire, or I can aim for big impacts. Which is more valuable? Which is more meaningful? Having a big life and having everything, or aiming for big influence? <clears throat> aiming for big influence, right? It's okay to have things, it's okay to have stuff, but even here in this story, this king that had everything, and all the men, and was stronger and, and mightier, went in to destroy the city, and he was destroyed. But life is unpredictable. You're not in control of what's going to happen. So here's what we have to do. Here's what we need to do. We have to choose to enjoy the life that God has given us. And I know it sounds so simple, but it's, it's profound advice from the wisest man who ever lived. We have to choose to enjoy the life that God has given us. We have to choose to make an impact. You know, that's what this year is all about, making an impact. An impact is not going to come if we sit around and brood, if we sit around and feel sorry for ourselves. It's not going to come. Who are you going to impact? Your couch? Your dog? Your cat? <laughs> so what's more important, that you make a name for yourself, or that you make an impact? That's what I want for my own life. Not, not people like, man, man, Chris Thorne, he is something amazing. He's got amazing talents, amazing abilities. He's really done something for God. I could care less about that. I could care less about people's accolades and recognition. I really could. I want people... To be impacted by my life. For good. I want people to be led to the Lord. To, to grow. To develop. And if that's happening. Then they're going to grow and develop other people. They're going to lead other people to the Lord. So in a sense. And again it's not a pride thing. But you think about that. My impact could be. Thousands upon thousands. This church may never get past 200 people. But if people have been impacted. And they go, and they go this place and that place and all over the world. You see what I'm saying? The impact is far-reaching. And I, I, again, in the human mind, I have a hard time with that sometimes. Because you look at the here and now. You look at what's in front of you. And, and I talk to pastors all the time about this very same thing. Um, they, they look at what's right in front of them. And, man, I haven't done anything. I don't have 500 people in my congregation. We don't have 1,000 people. We're not doing anything for God. <laughs> But some of those small churches, they've sent a lot of kids off to Bible college who are now in the ministry, serving God in various places all around the world. To me, that's greater than having a church of thousands. And that's what I desire here at Eagle Grove. And I, I, want, I want God to grow, so I believe he's going to. But what's more important to me is that we've made an impact, not just on our own community, but we've made an impact on others around us. And in order to make an impact, we have to aim to make an impact. We have to be intentional about it. We have to realize that God has given us a purpose. God has given us a life to live, so it's our job to live the life that he's given us to live, to enjoy it, to help other people along the way. We have to learn to be intentional about what is valuable. We have to choose difference-making 
sometimes over money-making. We have to realize that influence is more valuable than material success. And here's the decision that we close with tonight. Jesus, I understand life isn't fair. I know I could have gone so many different aspects on the unfairness of life. Life isn't fair. That's, that's the reality. So help me settle the essentials in life and learn to be intentional about what is valuable. That's what I want you to take from this lesson. That's what I want you to take from today. Be intentional about what is valuable in life. Aim to make an impact. Realize that death is going to happen. Life is unfair. You can't get beyond it. Under the sun, life will never be fair because of the curse of sin. But what's more important? Brooding and feeling sorry for yourself and not impacting people. And, that, and that's the thing. That this, this is what happens when we feel sorry for ourselves. We might not just sit around at the house all the time, but we might go out and we're so, you know, having such a pity party for ourselves that we might have an opportunity to truly make an impact in someone's life but we failed to do so because we're so focused on ourselves, right? We're so focused on what's going on in our life that we don't even think about what's going on in someone else's life. And I understand there's people in here tonight that have had a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. I get that. But don't you think someone else has maybe even had a worse time? Yeah. And that's what God is trying to help me look at people, look through my own, look past my own problems, and look at someone else. And usually, you know what happens when you help someone else? You feel better. That's what God has given you the life to do. That, that, that's where you find joy. That's where you find satisfaction. That's where you find significance. You know, it goes in, in Acts chapter 17, 6, the theme verse, talking about Jason and the others, the disciples. These are the turn the world upside down. How did they turn the world upside down? They didn't focus on themselves. They were under persecution attack all the time. And they realized, you know what? It's not about me. It's about everyone else I'm going to reach out to. I'm going to be intentional about this. And I know I'm facing all kinds of intense persecution and suffering and circumstances beyond my control. I even think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. And yet, he found joy. <laughs> in jail, in tragedy, uh, in hardships, he found joy. Why? Because his focus was on others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't focus just on yourself. Focus on other people. And really, that's the extent of what Solomon is teaching us. Be intentional about this life. Aim for impact, okay? You can be the greatest and best, and you can truly make a name for yourself, and, man, good for you. But what about the one that's never going to be remembered, that is impacting countless people? And again, I, I can't think of it offhand, but there was that, that old shoe salesman that, that led, he's, I don't talk about it. Yes, that led Billy Sunday to the Lord. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, he was in a sense, a nobody. And Billy Sunday and... I think Billy Graham was part of that chain. What I mean is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were impacted by that one person doing what they were supposed to do, reaching out, witnessing to someone. That person got saved. And because of that, thousands upon thousands got saved. Millions of lives have been changed, all because that one individual said, you know what? I see something in this little kid. I'm going to talk to him about the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel to him. I'm going to share the gospel with him. I'm going to invite him to church. You may never be the one that leads millions. But you can be the one that leads one, that leads thousands. And that's what I'm trying to realize in my own life. Maybe I'm that one that doesn't lead the millions, but maybe I'm the one that gets across to that one that will lead thousands upon thousands. So what I want to leave you with is this. Aim for substantial impact. Realize that God has given you a life. <coughs> Live it for Him. Enjoy the life that you have. Easy to feel sorry for yourself. What good does that do? Creates ulcers. <laughs> That's good. Make your hospital will go up. Make your cookie dough bill go up. Or whatever else you like. And your substantial impact. Let's pray.